it's up to you to keep me going. So you can look at my website, cuttingthroughthematrix.com, see what's for sale there. And uh, I've only got a few things for sale because I don't have time to do anything else. That keeps me going. Or donates to me through PayPal. Uh, you can use personal checks for Canada, U.S. Outside the Americas, you can use MoneyGram, Western Union, and you can also use cash. Some people just send cash. And that's fine with me. And those who get their disc burned and passed to them because they don't like computers, they play on CD players, I'll give you the address as to how you get in touch with me when I come back from this break.
so that whatever country they, they lent money to, or all countries who were in conflict with each other, regardless of who won or lost, they were guaranteed to be paid. So if you lost a war, you still have to pay off your debt. And that was all tidied up and sewn up, really by the, the 1800s, the end of the 1800s. They had that through, through various leagues, they called them, Concert of Europe and different big world meetings they had. And the leaders of all the big countries and the sovereigns would sign their name down to this, these kind of ideas, these, these treaties. Then it went into the League of Nations for World War I, and then you have United Nations for the present time. And as I mentioned yesterday, and I read an article from the World Trade Organization, Mr. Pascal Lamy talked about uh, the structures of global governance. And he refers to the fact that they were set up long ago, as far back as he's admitting to there, to at least World War II, the Bretton, Bretton Woods Agreement, and the, the signing of the UN Treaty at the end of World War II. He refers to them as structures of global governance. But what kind of governance? Well, as I say, it was back an awful long ways. And they used the socialist movements, many uh, different types, in fact, always to confuse the issue. They have different varieties on the go at the same time, all funded from the same sources, I should say, knowing they'd bring them all together uh, at the end into a big party, you might say. And throughout the 20th century, most of Europe went through, apart from the, the big wars that they had, which again was to change culture, and that's what Professor Carroll quickly said, that physical wars, the same as revolutions obviously, are meant to also change the, the culture of opposing parties. And it does, because government expands massive, uh, massively, they create bureaucracy after bureaucracy, and they get into private affairs like private ownership or farming, they took over all those industries. And after wars, they never let those ministries, they call them ministries, they never let them go. They're now part of the authorities. So you've changed society and the structure of society forever. And I've been lucky enough to have lived through some of the revolutions in the 20th century. Even as a toddler, I went through um, the phases of so-called sexual uh, liberation. It was called a revolution the sexual revolution. And it hit society like a ton of bricks all at once. And every major media, and being brought up in Britain, at the only time, it was, the major media was the BBC. It was all getting put from the top down. No one in the BBC that worked there uh, was allowed to, to come from any school, any place but up at Eton. Eton. That's the only place they hired them from to make sure there was a class that was running the lower classes. So here's the upper class pushing all this stuff and drugs at the same time. And even the fashion, as Plato said, too, everything works together, drama, fashion, movies, all at the same time pushing this, this kind of happy, crazy, uh, there's no consequences idea because they brought out the birth control pill at the same time. That's something that they lacked when they tried this before, during the 20s, the roaring 20s, when they made booze cans very um, nice places to visit because they were bad. They were bad for the youth, you see, and prohibition, and brought in jazz, and the miniskirt too. They tried the miniskirt too, but they had all the fallout of venereal diseases, no penicillins. Um, they had massive um, 
deaths from abortions, uh, the backstreet abortion industries, and uh, they didn't have the pill. So they would literally use the tax money of the public and, and from the government, of course, uh, funneled it onto science to bring out something that would stop the consequences. And then they brought the whole thing back much the same, and they changed it from jazz into what they called pop music, then rock music. And everyone takes it. When you're growing up, you're young, and, and something comes along that's, made to, that's aimed right at you by experts, mind you, marketing experts. You just jump into it thinking it's for you. You think, in fact, you think it is yours. And they sang songs like My Generation and stuff like that. It was all written by guys who were not members of your generation at all. That's how it's run. That's how you run culture. And we've had a lot of revolutions, cultural revolutions throughout the 20th century. And they need revolutions to, to ongo. This is how they said they'd fulfill the dream of an ordered, planned society. First to get you to literally think you're free, uh, do as you want sort of thing. Uh, but, of course, the intention was to destroy something they had to destroy uh, that Karl Marx talked about and many others. And that was destruction of the family unit had to go. You can't have a family unit there and people standing up for one person within that family when the government's after them. It's much easier when the government comes and there's no one to stand up for anybody. You see? And that's what they've accomplished today. The family unit technically is gone. It's in its death rows. So revolutions are very successful when they're planned, well-financed, and promoted from the top down, as everything must be. Anything that came out of the blue that was not planned from the top would be immediately crushed. Because, as Plato discussed himself, uh, that any cultural changes from the bottom would cause a kind of ripple effect through society that was out of the elite's control. Therefore, it's not allowed. The greatest way, as a technique is to say, is to make the public at the bottom think it's theirs, this revolution is theirs. It works every time. And there's always uh, a political end, a socio-political end that comes out of it. Planned, worked out, strategized, implemented, and it works perfectly. Now we're going through this greatest corner of all, and it's called the, 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 the Green Agenda, the Green Revolution. Whenever you hear revolution coming out from mainstream, till it becomes a catchphrase, and all the media keeps using it, and all media gets their green correspondence at the same time, mind you, then you know you're going through a planned revolution. Planned. <clears throat> Once again, it's from the top down. The, the Green Revolution is a fantastic way to divert the public from their own governments. As you go down the hill, paying for it all, mind you, the governments will stand up and say, well, you see, we can't do anything about it because we all agreed that the United Nations or at the Copenhagen Treaty or whatever else is planned in the future, we all agreed, you see, to cut emissions by blah, 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 blah. So it's almost like they want you to feel sorry for them. They have no option once they've signed it all. That's how it, psychologically it takes the heat off them. And it, takes, it tends to work with the public too. There's nothing written in stone, although they want you to think that. Any
any treaty that's ever been made, any law that's ever been made, can be torn up just like that, regardless of all the rubbish they give us. Oh, it would take years to undo, or years to unravel, utter rot. All you do is you get a good wood stove, and you tear it all up, and you throw it in the fire, and it's gone. And then you put other laws in to replace them. That's what you do. It's amazing how we, we go along with these rules and regulations. And then the leaders of different countries, I, I, I hate even calling them leaders because they're just front actors. But they turn around and say, well, the U.S. has demanded and the people of Britain have demanded. We, we demand nothing at the bottom, nothing at all. It's just, just a pantomime for the public. Back with more after this break. is cutting through the matrix. Talking about revolutions, and we have one revolution after another, but really they're all preset long ago in, in sequence how they would work. And Lenin talked about it, about services becoming authorities eventually. And we're at that stage now, and for every service, even police services, are now authorities, are now called enforcers. But really they're supposed to be a service because they receive money from the taxpayer. They're supposed to serve the taxpayer. But we've forgotten that, you see. We've been trained to forget that, in fact. And so have the cops themselves have been trained to forget that. And they get into the role of enforcing and, and bringing in cash through tickets and so on for governments. That's what they really do, is bring in cash through hand tickets out all the time. And there's always more laws put on the books every day some to hand tickets out about. But this Green Revolution that we're going through now is the final part, because out of the Green Revolution and all this farcical nonsense that it talks about, and all its farcical excuses that it uses, will change society completely, right down to what you eat. There will be no meat eventually. That's to be phased out completely, because those who designed the system a long, long time ago said that, that they would cut out meat altogether. It's much easier handling a population, making them by studying different cultures and what really worked for a long time. Well, the Brahmins of India have lorded over the peasants for thousands of years by pushing vegetarianism. And you make sure then you restrict what they've given access to in, in that diet. And you, you end up with people who can work. They can't think too clearly or well. They certainly don't think about rebelling. And neither would have the energy to do it successfully. So vegetarianism is part of the deal. And all you will have eventually are the modified genetically modified vegetables by Big Monsanto, but laced with all this pesticide. So it'll fulfill different roles at the same time and reduce the population by poisoning you, basically, and giving you all these cancers, which is already happening. It's been happening for years, in fact. And they know this at the top as well. That's why they don't eat the stuff that they make us eat at the top. And they must also bring down society. Now, you can imagine, we've gone through supposedly since 9-11... Uh, attacks by terrorists. Now there's terrorists across the whole planet suddenly. We, we are now under police states, basically martial law police states across the world. And every country signed the same bills at the same time, meaning they were written up and agreed to many years in advance because governments work very slowly. 
And then, of course, we had, uh, I think it was the West Nile virus was going to kill us all. That didn't happen. Then it was the bird flu was going to kill us. That didn't happen. And then it was this present flu and, of course, the financial crash as well that no one saw coming, apparently. And we bailed out the bankers who'd looted all our bank accounts. So here we are in a depression, financial depression, at the end of a phase two where the GATT treaty through the World Trade Organization uh, put all your, your factories abroad so you're not producing productive societies anymore, you're consumer societies, so you don't bring as much money as you used to do, anywhere near what you used to do, because you don't manufacture. They gave it all to China, and therefore we're at the bottom of depression, and we've been cleaned up by the banks. We've all been hit with a massive tab that will claim the firstborns of generations to come to pay off. Um, all okay by your government standards, by the way. That's all okay. Uh, while they're spending on the military like crazy and forcing us to fork out cash to save the environment as well. Think about that. Think about that. Would that make any sense to you? Well, you see, it's an agenda. It's nothing to do with reality, the whole climate nonsense. It's an agenda. Here we are going through the, the cooling period, and they're still pushing global warming. And I said that would happen. I said, I don't care if you're standing up to your neck in snow. They'll keep pushing this global warming until they have it all signed, sealed, and delivered, chiseled in stone. This article here from, again, the Green Watchdog for this newspaper, every, every newspaper's got one that's part of the agenda. It's from The uh, the Guardian. It says, Green Home make Makeover will cost up to £15,000, says Climate Watchdog Chief. You've got a Climate Watchdog Chief. A farcical title, climate, a weather watchdog chief. And it says here, this is from the, the, the uh, 10th of November 2000, Lord Turner said, more of a whole house approach is required. Another Lord. They always end up, you know, on the right side, don't they? Lord Turner says, more of a whole house approach is required if carbon emission targets are to be met. Then they show you this ridiculous photograph of a house at the front of a house it's painted yellow uh, with the older windows that it's got and it shows you it's all painted green on the right after the makeover and the windows at the bottom are at least one third less the size smaller windows to, to let in less light they'll say to save heat of course but that means you're going to have to burn more electricity to see, see inside because it's going to be absolutely dark inside it's farcical so the head of Britain's climate change watchdog predicted today the households will need to spend up to £15,000 on a full energy efficiency makeover if the government is to meet its ambitious targets for cutting carbon emissions. This is before they sign the final. It's a done deal, by the way. All, all these world meetings are just formalities where they have a big, massive meal and slap each other on the back for conning the public. That, that's all it is. The bureaucrats draft all this stuff up way in advance. So they want you all to, to now spend masses of money that you don't have in an economy that's gone to supposedly save energy in your home. By law. By law. And you won't be able to sell your house unless you've done a home. Goodbye, private property. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. 
because you can handle the truth.
very, very few people ever, ever live in reality. If you do, you better be a very good actor because the rest will turn on you when you come up with odd statements, odd to them, that is. He's weird. He thinks, hmm. And he made an awful lot of trouble. And we always take the farces too, like as I was mentioned the other day about soldiers and wars and how they love the propaganda. It's good enough for them. And young guys really, they're too immature to think too deeply about things. They certainly don't think about death for themselves, that is. It's impossible when you're young. You're going to live forever. In fact, you're never going to get old. That's how young people think. That's why they hire young people to go into the military. Older folk generally have a bit more sense. ExxonMobil, or Mobil, ExxonMobil, led consortium, the Nets, the supergiant Iraq oil fields. Now, if you remember back in the uh, Iraq pounding, the so-called um, policing effort, where they were at war with Iraq, and people said at the time, oh, they're going to go for the oil and that. They said, oh, no, no, it's really to get a bad man out of the way, and all that nonsense. But remember, they bombed all the refineries. And it was American newspapers at the time that... Uh, from statements by the Air Force that uh, they were told to bomb the refineries. And the reason apparently was that uh, they were old and antiquated, not very efficient. And the idea was that after the war, the American taxpayer would fund the building of new refineries. Well, it's all been done now, you see. <clears throat> Thanks to the taxpayer, as always. And now that they're handing it out, the spoils of war out to their pals. So ExxonMobil led consortium net supergiant Iraq oil fields. And this is from the Daily Star, Friday, November the 6th. It says, uh, the consortium uh, has beaten rival Russian, French, and Chinese groups to bag initial rights to develop Iraq's West Korna field, the oil ministry said, adding momentum to Iraq's bid to unlock its oil riches. With reserves of 8.7 billion barrels, West Kurna is amongst the prized Iraqi fields eyed by Western oil majors as they face flat or lower output at home and stiff competition from Chinese and Indian oil companies in bidding for oil fields elsewhere. The consortium led by ExxonMobil, which includes Shell, won the contract to develop West Kurna Phase 1 oil field, oil ministry spokesman Asim Jihad said. Initial deal was signed in Baghdad on Thursday, but needs cabinet approval before it can be finalized. The 20-year contract is part of a raft of deals. What how they say it? It's floating, eh? It's a raft of deals Iraq is close to formalizing in a bid to catapult itself to the world's largest third oil producer after decades of war and economic decline. So they're, they're going to continue to loot uh, those countries. They're going to get profit in Iraq. Uh, but what changes, eh? So if there's no guarantee that Iraq's next government to be elected January will honour the deals, well, it will be the same puppet government as it put in before. But it injects optimism into prospects for Iraq's battered oil sector and a second oil bid round in December after a lacklustre June auction. So ExxonMobil partnering Royal Dutch Shell beat Russia's Lukoil, which had teamed up with U.S. oil major ConocoPhillips and two other groups led by Francis Total and China's CNPC. So there you go. That's the spoils of war, you see. 
So it's geopolitical and it's also economic. Uh, I remember the movie years ago with Robert Redford, I think it was uh, Day of the Condor, it was called. And uh, the whole movie at that time, done back in the late 60s, maybe early 70s, was about the, these, these war games ongoing all the time with the CIA on uh, having to eventually go into the Middle East by force under different guises to, to grab oil uh, for themselves for the future. And here we are living through it. Quite something. Quite something. But what changes, eh? What changes? Now I can remember Maggie Thatcher talking about, uh, in, in her World Order, New World Order series, lecture series, that she spoke at Massey Hall in Toronto. Uh, that was about oh, 10 years before they eventually went into Iraq the second time. And she said the next war will be on religious fundamentalism. At that time, no one understood it. They said, well, what was she talking about? She's going to go after Mennonites or something? Or what is this? But we know today what it is because uh, they, they definitely are stamping out the last vestiges of religions, especially those that try whose, whose religion happens to be their culture, such as the Islamics. But it's a very selective. It's a very selective uh, war, isn't it, on fundamentalism? This article here is from the Israeli newspaper. It's called the Haaretz, and it's from the it's the 10th or 18th, this is, or I think you 2009, 9th, 11th, 2009. West Bank rabbi has given a book out now. He's written a book, and it says, it says in it, Jews can kill Gentiles who threaten Israel. Listen to this fundamentalism here. Just weeks after the arrest of alleged Jewish terrorist Yaakov Titel, a West Bank rabbi on Monday released a book giving Jews permission to kill Gentiles who threaten Israel. Rabbi Yitzhak Shapiro, who heads the old Yosef Chai Yeshiva and the Yitzhar settlement, wrote in his book, The King's Torah, that even babies and children can be killed if they pose a threat to the nation. You can understand when you're brought up with the Talmud, and you believe in it. Uh, why <laughs> they do things like Gaza? Because they're also getting rid of generations to grow up who aren't yet a threat, but they're, they're going to be possibly a threat. See? Shapiro based the majority of his teachings on passages quoted from the Bible, to which he adds his opinions and beliefs. He says it's permissible to kill the righteous among nations, even if they are not responsible for the threatening situation. He wrote, adding, if we kill a Gentile who has sinned or has violated one of the seven commandments, what they mean by that is the Noahide laws uh, that, we, that the Gentiles are supposed to follow. Seven Noahide laws. Uh, if they break any of them, they're supposed to be killed. And Ronald Reagan signed that into law for the U.S., by the way. Look it up in Wikipedia. It says here, if we kill a Gentile who has sinned or has violated one of the seven commandments, because we care about the commandments, there's nothing wrong with the murder. Several prominent rabbis, including Rabbi Yitak Ginsburg and Rabbi Yaakov Yosef, have recommended the book to their students and followers. And then it goes on to give uh, related articles, uh, cases of Jewish terrorist Yaakov Titel and Mir Amshalom, bears striking resemblances. These are terrorists within Israel itself. They're killing Arabs. 
by getting on buses and shooting them down, stuff like that. So I guess the war on fundamentalism is a very selective war when this can be printed here. And people can publish books on killing Gentiles and, and their children. And, and the world will be silent, as everyone knows. The world will be silent on this, as always. I had no problem looking at Saddam Hussein when we're told to look at, oh, he's a bad man. Let's get rid of Saddam Hussein. And that's what George Bush said during the inquest on the war in Iraq. After it was all done, he says, I didn't say that he was responsible for 9-11, which was a lie. They showed you clips on TV after that response to show him saying it over and over and over again. He said, I just, I just uh, said that Saddam Hussein was a bad man and the world was better off without him. That's good enough for the public, though. And when the public are told to go off and fight another war somewhere else, they'll fall for the next spiel of propaganda, quite willingly too, and because it's always over there, isn't it? Do you notice that almost all the news you get is somewhere else, somewhere so far out of your ken that it's almost like like a, a battle's on a planet outside the universe somewhere that you, you probably will never visit, so it doesn't affect you. And that's how most of the news now is today, isn't it? Because it's all international news. Meanwhile, you'll never know what's going on in your own area. What's really going on in your own area. It's a weak trick too, isn't it? You know, there are provinces in Canada that don't know what's happening in, in the next province. Or across Canada in different provinces. Same in the States. Another trick. But we can hear what's happening to, to, to certain, certain women and tribes in Africa. socialist pro uh, program is to kill off the useless eaters because according to the bankers in their books on efficiency where everything must add up properly generation after generation so many live so many die blah blah so many produce you know um, they're killing off the elderly under many guises you know? and you already stop listening to excuses for something when it continues and use your common sense those who give you your realities depend on the fact that you'll, you'll accept the excuses given. Everything's a blunder, it's a mistake, blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, it will continue and continue whatever particular area it happens to be in. But here's something here, and it falls right in with, uh, with the definition of the United Nations good world citizen, where it says that good world citizen is a producer and consumer. Uh, people who are then elderly are no longer producing. They're just consuming. That's a bad thing in today's world order. Because you're, you're using up the resources of the system, you see. The profits, in other words. And this article here is from the BBC. It's from 12th of November. Dementia drug use is killing many. Now remember, when you end up in an elderly place, you, you're automatically going to be classified as dementic, dementia anyway. Because you're old. Being old today has got, has got bad connotation. When they brought in this whole socialist agenda, and definitely, really about 1960 or so, uh, in the movies that have turned out since then, it's all about young people. And now it's so, it's so ridiculous that things like CSI on TV and stuff, and different things about hospitals, these dramas, and some of the people are about 20 years old in it. To make you think that that's, these are the ones who are active and doing and intelligent, making all the right decisions, is 
a reversal of reality. Total reversal. It's so ridiculous now that people are terrified of aging. Prior to that, people who were elderly were looked up to and respected. And you would go to them, get some wisdom to do with problems that you'd have in your own life. You don't get that anymore. And then you too, when they would destroy the family unit, which they would, they've successfully done, uh, that eventually, if there's no family, then who's going to take care of the elderly? So they created these old folks' homes, or terminal places, as I call them, exit places. That's what they really are. And once again, it would start off as a service. Police services, mountain enforcers. You've got, you've got health care service, now it's, a, it's a, an authority. And these elderly services that again come in to be under an authority. We can't let them stay at home like that. Good God, they've got a sink full of dishes, they're all dirty, and they'd, they just leave them. Well, by God, I was doing the same thing when I was 20. Anyway, getting back to what I'm saying. It says dementia drug use is killing many. It says 180,000 patients a year are given the drugs in care homes. This is in the UK, but it's happening everywhere. It's happening in the States before the UK. Hospitals and their own homes to make to, to manage aggression, they're calling it. But the expert review, again, experts, they don't have to do names anymore, just experts. The expert review commissioned by ministers, that's politicians, said the treatment was unnecessary in nearly 150,000 cases and was linked to 1,800 deaths. The government in England has agreed to take steps to reduce the use of drugs. It includes better access to other types of therapy, such as counselling. You can't live your life to the end anymore without all these professional managers coming in and telling you what, if you get agitated, this drug you to death. Back with more after this break. Cutting through the matrix. I've got the phones now. We'll talk to Maggie from Texas. See you there, Maggie. Hello. Um, I did not catch what it was you said that Ronald Reagan signed into law. It was in the context of a book that some uh, Israeli rabbi has written. Uh, um, yeah, this, this book was written just recently, but uh, they mentioned this, the, the seven laws that Gentiles are to follow. And most Gentiles don't know it, but uh, Robin Ronald Reagan was in, uh, he signed the seven Noahite laws, Noah. He signed them? Into what? law for all U.S. citizens. For so all law. U.S. citizens and not just Christians, is that correct? That's all U.S. citizens, yeah. Okay, where do, where do we find them? How is it spelled? You can, it's, it's Noahide, I think it's N-O-A-H-I-D-E. Um, H-I-D-E? If you do a search on Wicca, they'll give you the details in Ronald Reagan and all the links you can check up for yeah. yourself. And you can also check up, um, do a search for them uh, in the newspaper columns and Google, and okay. they'll, they'll go back and do the, yeah. Yeah, that they, sounds they like, yeah. It sounds like a completely illegal act. It's, well, it was actually approved by Congress. Hmm. Really? Yeah. And nobody heard about it? Well, then, well of course not. Yeah, yeah. okay, stupid <laughs> question. Okay, thank you, Alan. Bye, now. Yeah, the important things are never mentioned by... By Congress. Uh, now there's Ray from Wyoming there. Are you there, Ray? Hello, Alan. Uh, yes, uh, the, uh, this lady is so, you know, baffled by this law that you were just talking about with her. 
if the Americans actually, or U.S. citizens, Mm -hmm. actually knew what laws they were subject to, Mm -hmm. they would be up in arms tomorrow. It actually says in Noid laws, if you break the law, they can cut your head off. Oh, yeah. That was passed by the Congress. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I wouldn't wouldn't doubt it. But, I mean, there are so many things that... uh, we as a country have been subjected to that if the normal citizenry knew it they would they would they would just revolt i know and and you know something it's so endless it's scroll upon scroll it's like toilet paper Uh, you know i'm saying law after law after law reels and reels of it that that you just don't hear until they're implemented years ago when i first started reading some of the u.n documents that we adhered to and that were proposed and which many of them now are law a lot that we're subjected to. It was so unbelievable that you couldn't fathom it. But see, the law is passed, but they haven't enforced it. Mm -hmm. But it exists, and that's what people don't understand. We basically have legislated our country out of existence. You're quite right. You're quite right. And when they signed a treaty, in fact, in in San Francisco in 46, I think it was, every country that signed on to it knew darn well it was for global government. And uh, they signed away their sovereignty right there and then and agreed to, to, to sign every treaty the UN would put forth from then on. They agreed to all of that, absolutely. And it was to, it was to end national sovereignty. Yeah. Well, I, I used to be uh, listen to Alan Stang, and uh, basically I was made aware of him, you know, through uh, uh, the Birch Society. And, you know, some of the things that he brought up was like enforce the peace. How do you enforce the peace? Yes. You know, and all these things have come to be, and people do not believe it. I mean, we're going to perish inch by inch. Was that T.S. Eliot who said that? Yes, we are. We're also the, the, the straw men. We, we, we go with a, a, a whimper, not with a bang. Mm-hmm. That's correct, yeah. too. Uh, and, um, they and continually assault us with these laws. There's, there's got to be these NGOs that are sitting back there that just come up with one after another after yes. another. I mean, and you get one little victory, and, and you think you've accomplished something, but you haven't accomplished anything because they've taken an end around it anyway. They have a, when they, you hear of one thing, they have ten other similar things on the go with different names. So you're quite correct. And the NGOs are just the fronts for the big foundations. Thanks for calling. That's the that's the end of the show, and the music's playing. So from Hamish myself, it's from Ontario, Canada. It's good night, me your God, your God's go with you.